Uh, it's good to have you all back on a day when it's not, uh, what was it last week, National Associate Pastor, International Associate Pastor Day, that's a major holiday, and you guys came, so that's great. Uh, hey, before we get into it, I want to just kind of follow up on the note that went out on Thursday's E! News about our posture during this phase of the pandemic. Uh, and just, first of all, you know, we're committed to being here, being with you, um, and that's going to require maybe a little bit of flexibility on everyone's part. Uh, we've learned a lot over the last few years, and the, the really good news is we're not at the place where we have to you know, do things like uh, temp checks and registration and all that. There are num- numerous indications that this virus produces less sil- uh, serious illness. It's milder both in severity and in duration, um, but it's also a lot more contagious. Um, and so we're going to continue to ask you to wear a mask uh, until we get a level of community spread under control a little bit, which, if other countries are an indication, isn't going to be forever. Um, but that puts us more kind of at the stage of having to deal with the logistical elements of that in that we have a number uh, you know, that's finite of people who are on staff, uh, volunteers, and similar to the communication plans you've probably gotten from schools and everything, if we reach kind of that level of critical shortage, will adapt. And we've kind of got phases of what that adaptation will look like. Feel free to check the e-news if you have any questions about that. Feel free to reach out to any of us on staff. All that is to say, you know, we need to be a little bit flexible over the next month or so. There's no reason to panic. There's no reason to be indifferent. And the good news is, is that there is a lot of space for us to move under God's sovereignty in between those two poles. And I say all that because I hope that you will join us on the 30th when we're going to celebrate our dear friend, Carrie. We're going to say goodbye, thank her for all that she has done, all that she has meant, and commission her for this next season of where God is sending her. I promised I wasn't going to draw any more attention to it than that, but uh, at least for today. Um, all right. End of the announcements, let's jump into it. We are going back into our series on the Gospel of Mark, learning the way of Jesus, and the plan is to go slow. We're not in a rush by any means, but if we are committed to practicing the way of Jesus, to being with him, to being shaped like him, so that we can go out and bear his likeness into the world, then it is well worth our time to pay close attention to who he is, what he does, how he interacts with people, uh, the ways that he lives and moves in the world. And so we're actually going to go back uh, today to a passage that we left off with Uh, just before Advent that Catherine preached on, where he comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. And there always was an intention to do that uh, passage in two parts. Catherine kind of went through the the close pay attention to the text, 30,000 foot view of, you know, kind of what Jesus was saying. And I'm going to, this morning, kind of dive into the weeds a little bit more and talk about what it is that Jesus is saying when he is talking about the kingdom of God. Because it's this kind of nebulous, multi-layered reality. And so the first half is going to be a little bit more uh, theological, historical in nature. Uh, I would say, I'm sorry, but I'm not. So uh, I kind of I nerd out on that stuff. And then the second half is going to be kind of more the, 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 the practical, like what does this actually mean for us? So with that, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And listen carefully, for this is God's word. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. God, our Father, we come to you seeking a word that we know can only come from you. And so we ask this morning that you would be gracious as we seek after you. May what is said and may what is heard draw us closer into the heart of your kingdom so that we may follow you with joy and participate in your work of reconciling all things. We pray this in the name of the one who is the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, question, let's start out this way. If someone were to ask you to summarize the hearts of Jesus' teaching, how would you do that? Would you start maybe with, does your mind kind of go to things like the parable of the prodigal son and the father's outrageous generosity chasing us off while, or chasing after us while we were still a long way away? Do you go to the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one that's just like it, love your neighbor as yourself? Honestly, either of those, both great answers. You can't really go wrong with either one. But more than anything else that Jesus talked about is he came proclaiming the kingdom of God. His very first sermon, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, presumably, this is just the, the first or at least maybe the, the most memorable line of a sermon. And we hear in it kind of shades, echoes of Isaiah 61, where the prophet says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the, good, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort those who mourn. And Mark summarizes uh, Jesus' preaching as a message about this this kingdom that's coming. It's an announcement that this, this kingdom is now here. But the thing is, that's not just what Jesus preached about. It's what he talked about. It was the, the core of his teaching. This is just a, a sample of some of the things that Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed along the ground. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child and, 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 and shall not enter it. And then when Jesus sent his disciples out, did he give them? We well, said to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. When Jesus is in conversation with a teacher of the law and the man answers him wisely about what the, the, the core of the gospel is and loving God and loving, uh, loving neighbors, loving others, he tells him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Kingdom is this state of affairs where love of God and love of others is blended seamlessly into a whole. 
And it didn't just end with the Gospels. The substance of what Jesus said, the substance of what the disciples went on to teach about was also the kingdom of God. In Acts, we see that after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And then Luke summarizes Paul's teaching at the end of his life, after the, the many years of following Jesus and crisscrossing the Roman Empire, he summarizes it like this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome as he's awaiting his execution on his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Gospel of Jesus, the Euangelion that we talked about a few weeks ago. This announcement that he came to bring is that through him, governing power. Is the announcement. And that's in the first part, the, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, and then there is a call to action, repent and believe the good news. And so for this morning, we're going to kind of trace that out with a few questions. And the first is, what is the kingdom? Like, what does Jesus mean when he's talking about the kingdom? Well, that phrase can be translated over a realm over which God rules or God reigns. It's the place where God's authority has come to bear, uh, wherever that is, what we would call government. Uh, to pinch a line from Isaiah, it's the place where the government is on his shoulders. And Jesus is saying that a, a new order, a, a new government, a new king has come to bear and a come into, into power, into society, and and this means that everything is different. It's unlike anything that has come before. Evil has laid bare. It's time for justice. It's time for the healing of the nations. It's time for a whole new way of being. And I think maybe the best way of describing the kingdom is the way that Jesus describes it in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, hey, look, this is how you pray. And we do it every week. God your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is that place where whatever it is that God wants to have happen, happens. The place where all things are made to flourish, where creation itself is restored to its original intent. And we see glimpses of the kingdom all the time. We see it in a food kitchen where people are treated with dignity as bearers of God's image. We see it in a man or woman who makes sacrificial choices to live simply so that they can live generously and be a blessing to others. We see it in a community that ensures that the poor are lifted up, that the lonely are cared for. We see it in a family that honors God, not just in its devotional practices, but in everyday acts of neighbor neighborliness as they reach out into their community. When we uh, lived in Ireland... My favorite sights of the kingdom weren't just the ones that looked like this. 
what the Celts described as those thin places where the, the veil that separated heaven and earth was, was thin, where the nearness of the kingdom was as present as the air up against your skin. It was also in places like this. All right, and not just because it's a good pint, right? It's because Arthur Guinness didn't just brew beer. He lifted up a community. He provided wages that were 20% higher than the average in Dublin. And not only that, he provided a pension for his workers and for their widows. He provided health care for his workers and a, an education fund for their children. Three square meals a day for those who were on the job and a pint before they went home. And this was all in the 1700s. Way before talk about like healthcare was even a thing, when working conditions were horrible. And he was a man who grew up in poverty, and so he knew what that was like, and he knew he did not want that, and knew that the only way that society would look more like it did in heaven is if people like him used their influence to bear to bring about a state of affairs on earth that echoed the righteousness, the justice, and the harmony of heaven. So Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God has come to transform individuals. But it doesn't stop there. It transforms communities. It transforms churches, businesses, societies, eventually the entire cosmos. And Jesus is saying it has come. The place where God's will, where God's authority is carried out to the degree that earth starts to look like heaven. And so the kingdom... Well, it's this place where God's will is always done. Earth, on the other hand, is the place where sometimes God's will is done. We, we certainly see that sometimes. But it's also the place where a lot of other wills are in the mix. What Jesus calls the demonic, what Paul calls the powers and principalities. And there's also human will, right? There's, there's your will, there's my will. And, you know... We all have a, 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 our own little kingdom. We all have the place where what we want to have happen is what happens. Uh, John Calvin remarked that everyone flatters himself and carries a kingdom in his breast. And your, your kingdom might be small. You might feel like it's insignificant. But if somebody tries to get into that kingdom, you will guard it tooth and nail, right? And you could say that about any number of the things that kind of run through our hearts, we all have our own sense of a kingdom that is ours. And so the kingdom is the place where God's will is done. The, the earth is a place where there are a lot of different wills that are in conflict with one another. Uh, not all of which you know, have this vision of God's flourishing for the world. Not all of them you know, necessarily share this, this idea of God's peace, of God's shalom breaking into the world. And we live stuck in between those two places. We are suspended between the desires of our hearts that long for the kingdom and the desires of our will that just want what we want, how we want it. But Jesus is saying the time has come for all of that to change because the kingdom is near. And for me, at least, you know, that raises kind of an important question. What does that mean that the kingdom is near? 
Some translations are a little bit more literal. They say things like the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom has arrived or the kingdom is approaching. Uh, There was one I, I saw that said the kingdom is within reach. And now I heard this analogy of uh, a road trip, which I thought was helpful. Uh, You know, some of us like a good road trip, right? And and I think the way that you think about a road trip is, uh, let me ask a question. How many of you, you know, when you're thinking about planning out a, a journey, how many of you are like journey people or how many of you are destination people? How many journey folks do we have here? Okay, how many destination people? Right, yeah, so some of us are like type A, get there, no bathroom breaks, no coffee, because that will lead to bathroom breaks, and just get it done. Uh, No deviation from the established plan. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we drove from our home in Central California to El Paso, Texas, in a day. 18 hours straight in the car. I was like eight years old. I thought I was going to die. Other people are a little bit more free-spirited. It's about the adventure. Uh, you know, you, you plan a little bit of side trips along the way. You'll go and uh, you know, spray paint cars in Amarillo, Texas. Or you'll go see the world's largest ball of yarn. Or you know, whatever it is that's out there. Those people are way more fun to be around. Uh, they don't tend to get much done, but, you know, they're a lot happier. Um, <laughs> I happen to love a good road trip. My wife and I have driven across the country eight or so times. We, uh, something about, you know, being out on the open road, spe- you know, spe- especially those places out past Texas when the, everything just kind of opens up and there's these huge mesas and it just feels like the, the taste of freedom or something like that. I'm a romantic, I guess. Um, driven across Canada, it's the same thing. And back in the days before GPS, back before Siri or, you know, Waze was telling you where to go, the only way that you would know that you were getting close is that you would pay attention to the road signs, right? You'd see, you know, your destination 10 miles, you know, 5 miles. And then at a certain point, you'll start to see this little dot on the horizon. And then it'll start to grow and you'll see the skyline of wherever it is that you're going. And you'll have this moment of where you can breathe in and say, we're here. And of course, technically speaking, you're not there, right? You still have a little ways to go, but you can see it. You see the end on the horizon. And I think that is what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom is within reach. You're going to get there, but you're not quite there yet. And the second question, all right? So if that's what the kingdom is, the place where God's will is done, how would Jesus' original audience have actually heard him when he says this announcement that the kingdom is here? And that's an important question to know because it sets up all of the conflict that we're going to see in Mark's gospel between Jesus and the teachers of the law, between Jesus and Rome at the end of the gospel. So bear with me a little bit longer through the history of theology because in theory the payoff is coming. Um, One thing that I think you need to know is that the the image of this kingdom was loaded with all kinds of meaning for the people of Israel. It spoke of the gap between the future and the present. And in the world that Jesus inhabited, 
messianic expectations, this time of a king coming in who's going to lead them into victory was at an all-time kind of fever pitch. Uh, Daniel foretold of these kingdoms that would come and go, that would be driven out by an eternal kingdom. And so they were awaiting this, this king that would come in might and in power, who would throw off the yoke of Roman oppression, who would set things right so that they could live into their calling of being the light to the nations, the hope of the world. And Israel divided time, we've talked about this before, between the age to come and the present age. And in between those two things was the day of the Lord. And it would be a day of judgment for the wicked, as we see in Amos. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. But it would also be a day of vindication for the downtrodden. On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over all of the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name will be worshipped. And so, you know, this was the steady drum beat of the prophets practice the peace the justice the righteousness the goodness of the age to come right now in the present or you will be swept up in God's judgment in the here and now in this present age which is marked by sin and death and everything in between Violence, corruption, racism, indifference to good, all of those mid-2000s shows on the CW. But the age to come was a different age. It was marked by the return of shalom, of, of flourishing. It was a a day when things would be the way that they were meant to be before sin and death stained the world. It's this picture of deserts flowering, of a place where weeping and groaning would be no more, where people would work together and work to fruitful effect, where heaven and nature would sing. I love how an early follower of Jesus named Irenaeus described this return of shalom he, he wrote it like this, The days will come in which vines shall grow, having each 10,000 branches, and in each branch 10,000 twigs, and in each true twig 10,000 shoots, and in every one of the shoots 10,000 clusters, and on every one of the clusters 10,000 grapes, and every grape will, when pressed will yield 100 gallons of wine. And then when any one of the saints shall lay hold of a cluster, another shall cry out, I am a better cluster, take me, bless the Lord through me. Subscribing this time when the kingdom comes, when God's will is present, things are flourishing, where all needs are met out of abundance and all gifts are offered with delight. It's a place where everything is as it should be. And the turning point 
that kind of ushered in this new age would be when the Messiah comes to drive out the oppressor and lead the people into, a, into victory, into this new reality. And so the expectation among Jesus' hearers was very much this, this would be a sociology Violence would be imminent, war was, was, was on its way, people were ready to throw down. And Jesus comes onto the scene, not in Jerusalem, which is the center of all the action, but in this little podunk town called, in, in this region of Galilee, and he says, the time is here, this, this time that all of history has been waiting for, it is here. It was like somebody was taking a match to a powder keg. This was a shocking, explosive announcement. So that brings us to the last question, and that's, so what does all that mean for us, right? I mean, we are not first century Palestinian Jews. We live in a democracy where we're self-governed, or at least, you know, by the people who we choose. What does it mean that the kingdom has come near? Well, the answer is in the call to respond. He says, repent. And believe the gospel. That's what you're to do in response to this news. If the, if the kingdom has come, if, if God's reign is breaking in, it means that nothing can be the same again. There is no return to the, squat, the status quo. There is no you know, carrying on as per usual. Everything has changed. And so Jesus' call is to abandon your old way of life and live as a citizen of this kingdom that is coming to bear. One biblical scholar put it as that this is an announcement that demands a response. The old lifestyle of indifference to God, it's got to come to an end. N.T. Wright puts it really well when he says, Jesus was telling his hearers, in other words, to give up their agendas and trust him for his way of being Israel, his way of bringing the kingdom, his kingdom agenda. Give up your way of being in the world and trust Jesus for his. Now, we all have a gospel. We all have something that is the animating center of our lives, whether you are religious or not. We all have a kingdom that we are subject to, even if the king is a tyrant, and even if that tyrant is the one who keeps showing up in the bathroom mirror every morning. We all have that thing that we will fight for like a pit bull. That if that thing were to be taken from us, we're not sure life would have much meaning for us. What is that thing for you? And Jesus is saying, look, if what you're chasing after, if, if your agenda cuts across the grain of God's intention for the universe, with, with, with Jesus' vision of shalom, then that thing, whatever it is, it's just not worth it. So give up your agenda and trust me for mine. Don't waste your hopes and your dreams. Don't waste your, your time and your pain and your brokenness on something that does not bring in the peace of the kingdom. Don't waste it on having the fanciest garage or the white picket fence. And don't get me wrong, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. We need people who make good beer, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> don't just do it for yourself. 
do something with it. If your agenda or your dream, whatever it is that you're looking to, isn't pointing you toward the kingdom, then it's just not worth your life. So the question we always have to ask is, what is it that we need to set down? Is it being the best or the biggest or the baddest or whatever? Is it finding value in others because of a, a, a childhood wound? Is it your addiction to work, to sex, to comfort? What is that thing for you? Well, whatever it is, the invitation that Jesus gives is to rethink reality from the ground up. And to trust him. Whatever it is that God is stirring up in your heart that will reveal just a glimpse of the kingdom that you can step into, are you acting on that thing? And I'm not talking about quitting your job and working at a church. God knows we can't pay you if you, you know, were to try to do that. I mean, how are you carrying this out in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your school, in, in the place that you spend your time, how are you carrying it out beyond these four walls? The kingdom is here. What does it mean for you? What are you doing about it? But before we end, I think there's one more question that maybe is lurking underneath all the others. It's not a question that comes out of the text per se, but it's a question that comes from living in Uh, a post-Christian culture some 2,000 years after Jesus made this announcement that the kingdom has come. And it's the question that cuts across the heart and it's maybe, you know, the question that you've come here with and it's, how can any of this be true? I mean, the kingdom is here? When there is a raging humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan? when we are dealing with the psychological fallout from another round of illnesses and closures, when accountability is something that has to be celebrated rather than justice being something that is expected in our courtrooms, the kingdom is here? I mean, it's a little confusing because sometimes Jesus sounds like he's saying the kingdom is here and sometimes it sounds like he's saying it's on the horizon just over the next mountain pass. So which is it? Is it future or is it present? Yes. The answer is yes. It's both. It's a seed that starts out small, but one day will come to eclipse everything. And we live right here in the gap between the future and the present. Jesus has shown us what this rain looks like. And I think, you know, if you've ever been to a a restaurant that serves meals and courses... And you get to that spot to where you've gotten, you know, the appetizer. And it's so, so good. But you know that's not the whole thing. It's just a taste of what is to come. It's just a hint of what you are going to experience in full. Jesus is the first fruits of the kingdom. This meal that he gave us is an appetizer of the feast that is to come. We live in the time and the overlap of the ages because the kingdom is on the horizon. We, we see war, we see famines, we see cancer diagnoses, we see children that go unwanted. But because the kingdom is here, we pray for healing. 
And sometimes hope and newness come flooding in. Because the kingdom is not yet here, things are broken, marriages fall apart, sex trafficking steals the light out of the eyes of so many young women and children. But because the kingdom is here, we also see reconciliation. We see a new identity begin to well up in the shell of the old one. And sometimes, and somehow, this, this future in which all people and all creation is brought into flourishing, we see it break into the present, not fully, but enough to give us a sense of where this story is headed. And so as followers of Jesus who live in between, our call is to allow Jesus to pull that future into the present, to get that flourishing inside of us so that it it gets inside our bones, it captures our imagination, it fires up our desires to learn to love the kingdom, to learn to love the way that it leads people to flourishing so that we can step into the gap in the places where that flourishing, where that peace is absent. And you know you come across those places everywhere you go, right? Which is exactly why the kingdom comes with you. Why Jesus says the kingdom of God is in you. Because here's the thing, the world knows that things are not the way that they are supposed to be too. The world also is groaning for the coming age. And we are a part of a community that knows exactly how that story is going to go and is shaped by how things will be. Kingdom has come. Starts out small. But make no mistake, friends, It will not stop until it has changed everything. It's one of the reasons why each week we come to this table where we see just a hint of that meal that is to come. That somehow by this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup, Jesus is present, strengthening us, nourishing us and pointing us toward the day when we shall sit with the Lamb at the feast in the heavens. And so, friends, as we come, let us pray. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together. And when he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat, all of you, and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the cup and poured it out, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. So it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his dying until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. As we come forward for communion, we'll form two lines down the center aisle. On the inside ring of the, of the uh, cup is wine, and on the outer ring in clear is juice. Uh, there are also gluten-free cracker, crackers uh, on this side. This side. Pretty sure this side. (laughs)
You'll know him if you see him. But friends, as we come, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Will those who are assisting please come forward? Friends, this is the feast for the people of God. These are his gifts for you.